Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the California Native Plant Society. California is a biodiversity hotspot on our planet, and CNPS is working to support and save the communities of plants and related beings and conditions that make it so. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As seed catalogs continue to arrive in our mailboxes and our inboxes daily, filling our notebooks and dreams, we take a look behind the scenes at a seed source well-known to gardeners and market growers throughout North America, Johnny's Selected Seeds. Founded in the mid-1970s by young plantsman Rob Johnston Jr., Johnny's Selected Seeds from the start was focused on unusual and often organic, open-pollinated heirloom seeds for often organic home gardeners and market growers. We're joined today by Johnny's CEO, Dave Melhorn, and Lauren Giroux, Director of Product Selection and Trialing Research. I am so pleased to be speaking with you both. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. I'm going to get started by asking each one of you to tell us a little bit about your own personal kind of motivating principle. What gets you up in the morning about the work you do there at Johnny's Selected Seeds? Let's start with you, Dave. Okay. I'm currently the CEO at Johnny Selected Seeds. I've been with the company for 10 years in various roles. In terms of, I guess, what gets me up and gets me going in the morning, I, I've been really fortunate. I, uh, I did a, an independent project with Johnny's probably 11 years ago and had an opportunity to understand the mission of the business and get to know some of the people. And it's a very unique culture, both in terms of the mission that it has, but also that it's an employee-owned business. So I was really attracted to the overall goals of the company, the passion that the employees had to try to help farmers and home gardeners solve issues with the gardens they were trying to grow and the farms they were trying to operate. I think the thing that gets me most inspired really on a daily basis is to come into work and join all the other employees that are really committed to that mission. It's certainly a very complex business and a complex industry, and that's obviously gotten a little more complex in the last, you know, 18 months or 24 months, but uh, it's really rewarding. Lauren, let's move to you. The same idea. What is your role there at Johnny's and your length of time and what might be your kind of motivating principle? Um, sure. So I'm Lauren Giroux, and my role is the Director of Product Selection and Trialing here at Johnny's. I've been with the company now for 13 years consecutively. I did do a couple of seasons before that in the warehouse. And um, I would say that, you know, my connections to plants and the business is an extension of my connection and fascination with food and its origins. Uh, and would also say that as somebody who grew up in the area, as um, the daughter of back to the land parents uh, that came to Maine in the 70s, left their city job, I've been growing Johnny seeds my entire life. And so the connection to the seeds and the food they produce uh, and then cooking that food is really is a motivating force. Uh, and there's always so much to learn. Yeah, yeah. When was Johnny's founded and what was its 
mission at the time that it was originally founded and what is that now? Where does it sit in this hierarchy of very large, consolidated, very, very small, independent? So the business was started about 45 years ago by a fellow named Rob Johnston. And uh, originally, he actually went up into New Hampshire for a short period of time and tried to base the business there and then um, found some land that was uh, affordable over in Maine and um, moved and started the business over in Maine. Um, I talked to Rob just this morning, so he's still connected to the business. Um, you know, the original mission of the business was to try to bring you know, unique vegetable varieties, um, some domestic and some from around the world um, to market gardeners. That was really kind of the focus of the business was for um, supporting local agriculture, kind of a decentralized food system, and to make sure that uh, vegetable seeds, as it was starting to be some consolidation in the seed industry, even back then, or at least some of it was turning into um, kind of larger uh, businesses that weren't distributing to every segment of the grower community um, was to try to distribute really unique vegetable varieties to market gardeners, people that were trying to support local agriculture, whether it be, you know, farmers markets or um, having farm stands out in front of their houses and of course supporting home gardeners at the same time. So both of those customer segments were the focus of the business. And then it, it got into a little bit of a mail order business and that was really where the business started to be able to distribute seed. And like most other seed businesses in the US, there was a lot of regional companies that started doing regional distribution. And then as uh, you know, the catalog industry um, became more popular, that started to allow seed to be spread out across the country, people to get exposed to it through the catalog. And then ultimately, obviously, e-commerce has come along and sped that up even more. At this point, what would you say is your consumer reach? We source seed through a variety of fashions. So um, we have a breeding department. So we breed some vegetable varieties ourselves and produce that seed. That seed that we produce, we distribute domestically up into Canada and internationally. And then we also, um, through Lauren's group, try to find best-in-class varieties across all product groups, all crop groups. We find that from you know, partners that are based around the world. We go through a pretty rigorous selection process. Lauren can speak to that a little better than I can. And, and as we select those varieties and add them to the product portfolio, we distribute those in the U.S. and Canada. We don't distribute those internationally. Probably in terms of numbers, three times as many home gardeners purchasing from us as what we would call mixed market growers. But the volume of our business is largely scaled towards the mixed market grower just because of the amount of seed they need. And they're based all over the country. So while, you know, 20 years ago, they predominantly would have been in the Northeast. Um, now they're fairly equally distributed across the whole country and up into Canada as well. The fact is you're working in a very specific sector uh, of our horticultural and agricultural world, 
And for most people, uh, this comes with something of a, a little bit of a calling. And, and you gave us a little bit of information on that, Lauren. But if there's things you would add, like who were the people and places and plants that would lead you to be someone who spent their life dedicated to working with good seed and trialing and getting that out into the world? Um, sure. Uh, so Jennifer, I mentioned my parents, and so I, I would start there. We had a vegetable garden. Um, they, you know, moved to Maine, is back to the Landers, living, aiming to live the their version of the good life, uh, if you will. So I grew up with a vegetable garden, grew up cooking a bit uh, with those vegetables. And then I would say, in terms of really immersing into the local food movement, a bit more in the way that I am today. Uh, my my high school employer and mentor, Melissa Bastian, who worked locally and ran a bed and breakfast, uh, she was really influential in teaching me how to cook using ingredients from the farmer's market and share some of the connection, the story behind the food and the ingredients of the food with those that we were serving the food to. Uh, and so that really, that instilled, uh, kind of took me a little bit deeper into um, the community aspect of the food, kind of outside of my own backyard. Uh, from there, I actually started working at Johnny's in high school. Uh, so that was my first exposure to the seed industry, um, was packing seed, shipping it to home gardeners, really, um, kind of sending the seed that I'd grown at, at home a bit outside uh, to others in the world and learning the variety names. Um, that, that inspired me to, to actually study agriculture in school uh, and work on a local farm. So I did work on a farm uh, for throughout school each summer, uh, throughout college. And they grew a number of Johnny's vegetables, uh, which they sold at their uh, their market. Um, it's a five day a week vegetable market and also used in their restaurant. So again, bringing it back to the food that we were eating. Um, and so that all of that led me eventually back to Johnny's Selected Seeds in the research department um, and really still just kind of immersing deeper and deeper every day into the seed food community connection. And what about you, Dave? Yeah, so my journey to Johnny's is markably different than Lauren's. I had really had some previous jobs and careers with two other companies that weren't associated with agriculture at all, but there were a lot of commonalities between the work that I was doing on the sales and marketing and business operations side to what Johnny's was doing and to what Johnny's was attempting to do. When when the previous CEO called me, you know, 11 years ago, he knew that I had that skill set, but I didn't have the agriculture background, to be honest. But I knew, having done that um, project with the business, you know, what they were about. And I certainly already had an enormous appreciation for farming and agriculture and wanting to live in a more rural setting. I had lived in Maine and then moved away from Maine, um, lived outside of New York City for a little while, and that wasn't for me. So as I came back, I was in a position where I could be a little bit more selective about where I went to work. And initially, my commute to Johnny's was an hour and a half a day. So um, that gives you an appreciation for how much I was uh, enjoying working there. And then in the first year, it was really Lauren, some other people that were working on the research side of the business that brought me in. And I kind of committed myself to learning that. And it was just enormously fascinating to me. Everything about the industry is enormously fascinating. Everything about plant biology is enormously fascinating. Everything that the customers are trying to do, our customers are trying to feed local communities. So 
you know, to get energized about trying to operate a business and manage a business and oversee a business that's supporting that mission, their mission, that made me want to learn the agricultural side of the business. And uh, we took trips to just all over, you know, looking at products, visiting with customers. So I immersed myself in that really in that first year and a half. And I've continued to take time to continue to learn it all the while. Right now I'm in a role where I'm overseeing um, a lot of different operations in the business. And I still have people like Lauren and a couple other people on the research side of the business that are professionals in that, went to school for that and have that same long life commitment to agriculture. This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're taking a behind-the-scenes look at seed suppliers with Johnny's Selected Seeds. We're in conversation with CEO Dave Melhorn and Lauren Giroux, Director of Product Selection and Trialing Research. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible by the California Native Plant Society on a mission to save California's native plants and places using both head and heart. Of the society's many programs of note, I am really excited about their newest program, Bloom California. This plant advocacy and information campaign aims to increase native plants across the state specifically in our gardens, parks, business fronts, and beyond. Over 85 nurseries across California have partnered to offer you Bloom California native plants. Native plants highlight a very unique beauty to your region. They support wildlife and are climate conscious in your region. For more information, visit bloomcalifornia.org, where you will also find a list of the nurseries around the state carrying the Bloom California plants, which are marked by a Bloom California logo. Discover these beautiful native plants where you are. Hey, it's Jennifer. So I don't know about you, but mid-January... I'm even more about seed than I normally am. I have seeds on the kitchen table, seeds on the sideboard, I have seeds in my office, and I have seeds on the brain. I know I have seeds in shopping carts, in online forums, across the internet, and I'm sure I have seeds on the way to me now in the post. I'm very interested in what seeds you might be looking at and enjoying thinking about and dreaming about this season. I have an odd number of nasturtiums for some reason, and I have quite a few zucchini and squashes this year. What seeds are on your counter or in your shopping cart or on their way to you as you listen to this? I would love for you to share more about your current seed obsessions. Send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com, and I would be happy to share your seed selections out with our community of people. You can also leave a comment on the weekly post on Instagram, where you will find me at cultivating underscore place. I want to hear more about your seeds. Oh, 
And I also have a nice little handful of seeds from Hudson Valley art packs, uh, including several native pollinator plants from seed that I'm excited about. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. We're back now to our conversation with Johnny's Selected Seeds. As we come back, Lauren Giroux shares more about the work of seed trialing and seed selection from growers around the world. In my role, I oversee a team of talent. This is really, I'd say, I guess, the start of the annual cycle. So in a year, uh, the, you know, so much of it is tied to the catalog year, uh, which is also tied a lot to seed biology and when new crops are coming in uh, historically. And so the year really sets off, you know, a catalog has published on uh, that kicks off the what worked, what didn't, and what are the things to look for for the next trialing seasons. There's a group of product managers and their role is they each have crop assignments, uh, vegetable or herbs, flower assignments uh, for them. And they, within those crop assignments, they understand the details of uh, the market, what the trends are, what's happening on the industry side in terms of products that are um, coming onto the market that are maybe leaving the market for different reasons um, and also understanding what what customers are really needing from the product assortments is it what are their challenges that that johnny's can help solve through great products and there so this is a time where they're pulling in a lot of information um, throughout the company so we have territory sales representatives who are in territory and, and are sharing what the trends are and needs are from their customers uh, there are surveys that happen and uh, also a lot of discussions with the supplier network which as dave mentioned you know many many different suppliers of all types and sizes around the world about you know what are the trends and and what should we be focusing on um, from there it moves into really bringing in uh, the seeds or we also work with tools and supplies uh, so bringing in products that meet kind of the the largest highest priority needs for the product assortment for the customers what what are their greatest challenges you know what big improvements need to be made or what what new things are coming as well as innovation what are the things that nobody really knows yet but will be the next the next big kale uh, if you will when <laughs> kale really took off um, so exploring a lot of that, bringing in the seeds and then setting, putting together the trialing. So that's, you know, an experimental design. Johnny's trialing program is, is one of the largest for seed dealers in the industry. It's an in-house trialing program where many different seeds are coming compared against one another in our at our facilities in Maine um, with an increasing complementary aspect of regional trials as well that compare the varieties to one another. Um, throughout the growing season, uh, sometimes depending on the stage and the, the product, it might be multiple growing seasons. Um, some things need a couple of years to both come commercial into the market as well as be well understood. All of the products that Johnny's is bringing into the market are ones that, that we have a level of personal experience with and have been curated for the customers. So when the products, as we're coming through the trialing season, there's a lot of work on which products are the ones to launch. Uh, some of them are already decided a year before and it's really the product launch phase of gathering photos and writing copies. Some of them are selected in season um, because it's you know moving things through as quickly as possible. Um, bringing them to the market is important. So those decisions are being made throughout the summer, um, going into when the catalog is finalized during the early months of the fall into late fall and November when it's finally going to customers. Oh. 
And that really simplifies what's, it's much more complicated than that. I am interpreting what you are saying as I'm listening to it. So when you say things like looking for trends, like the kale, or there is this greater conversance in on the part of home gardeners or market gardeners to pollinator concerns or GMO concerns, or so all of a sudden the super double echinaceas, for example, are, are now out of favor and the singles are back in favor. And, you know, one year it's this kind of culinary tradition in herbs. And then next year, you know, everybody wants a different culinary tradition or a a more of a combination. The timeline on this must be really complicated because on the one hand, you're trialing things. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, we're going to launch this, but you actually need to have grown that much seed or someone needs to have grown that much seed for that to actually launch. So that could be a whole year out, if not more. You have growers who are helping you trial and helping you grow kind of simultaneously? Or do are trialers very distinct from the actual growers who supply bulk seed? In most cases, they're quite distinct. Seed growing and seed production is a whole art and skill in and of itself. And it can be very difficult to mix the production side of growing vegetables with the seed side of growing vegetables or other plants. So we have a lot of our products are moving through the trialing that we have in Maine. And and what is interesting is that a lot, you can gain a lot from, learn a lot about the adaptability of a product from the conditions that are here. There can be large heat spikes and temperature swings and um, a lot of moisture or some years with not enough moisture. Some of that, uh, of course, some of that information is also complemented by our suppliers who are also running trials around the country. And so, you know, some of this, we are gaining the technical and personal experience with those products, but we're also leaning on those that we collaborate with who have experience elsewhere and not, and not uh, trying to repeat yeah. that work, but rather share yeah. in that work and complement that work. And then in, in specific cases, whether it's products, especially coming out of our own breeding program, as Dave said, um, but also products that you know, we don't have the capability to have here, to grow here in Maine, short day onions as an example. Those products we are testing with regional growers, trialing growers and extension agents in some cases around the country to complement our information in Maine. So it's it's very multifaceted in how we're, we're understanding the product and pulling from all of the information that's there as well as, as kind of building our own information when the information doesn't exist. And at this point, how many acres are you working on there in Maine? Oh, it was about 80 acres total. And that includes, that's not only the trialing, I should say. That includes, of course, um, our our product, our breeding and development um, product work, as well as some in-house seed production. Uh, and then we, we also have incorporate soil health into that as well. So some of that acreage each year is, you know, in, in, in cover crop land, um, strip, land, strip cover crops uh, to maintain soil health and fertility and operate, you know, with organic management practices. Wanted to add one thing to what Lauren had mentioned. Um, in regard to acreage, we just also bought another 53 acres of land so that we can um, allow more land to rest and be in cover crop um, for soil health reasons. Uh, and then to add on also to the uh, to the selection process, you know, the the research team that Lauren talked about, um, they also travel. So so they'll go 
they'll go maybe even before we trial something, they'll have a chance to potentially see it um, in Holland or potentially see it in California or see it in Florida, um, go to the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the suppliers, cooperators, we call them that we work with, um, have their own trialing facilities. And we get a lot of opportunities to go out and see products that might be even pre-commercial um, to see how they're progressing as they come through and potentially come to market. So um, okay. I Good. think that informs a lot about um, which things we bring to trial through our process as well. Right. Okay. And at this point, um, how many employees work with Johnny's and how many offerings do you have in the current catalog in the way of seed, not tools, just seed? We, we have some seasonality with our business. So in the summertime and in the fall, you know, we may need more people to work on the farm. And then in the, uh, in the wintertime right now, we're heading into the season where uh, a lot of farmers and home gardeners are going to buy their seed for their plantings that they're going to do this spring, um, depending on where they are geographically. Uh, so we flex up in other areas of our business, maybe in our seed packing area or even in a call center. Um, but overall, we're, we have about 280 employees, and that can fluctuate up and down seasonally. Um, we have a number of employees that rotate through the different functions in the business um, so that they can stay employed with us for the entire year, which is great. And that's always a goal mm -hmm. of ours. Yeah. And, and how many uh, different seed offerings do you have in this year's catalog or online? Throughout the flowers, herbs, and vegetables covering all of the offerings, it's about 1,800. Wow. And, you know, when you compare that with, you know, the staff size, the acreage size, the seed selection size back in uh, the late 1970s, Johnny's, I think now I would describe it from my seat as being a mid-level if you would say that was an accurate assessment, that I think puts Johnny's in a very interesting viewpoint in the seed industry to think about and and um, give input on some of the complexities of the seed world at this point. Uh, would you would you say that was fair from from the two of yours experience over this last decade plus? I, I would say that there are many, many, many companies in the seed industry that are, you know, a hundred times bigger than Johnny's is. And we're certainly not that, um, you know, we are a midsize dealer in the U S there are certainly other people that are seed dealers and seed producers in the U S that are larger than us. Um, but I think, you know, there's kind of a, a, a set of businesses that we we think we're fairly comparable to. And for those, I would say we're a little bit more on the larger size. So I would love to now move into a little bit of the complexity of the seed world. And, and part of this comes up for me doing what I do because of that moment in March, 2020, when all of a sudden, you know, as a home gardener and garden communicator. I was, you know, I was actually out on the road giving a book tour. Everything shut down. I came home and all I could think of was ordering seed for a season that I thought I would be on the road. And and to go to some of my 
um, most trusted seed sources and to see, you know, sold out, overwhelmed, can't get back, we'll, we'll you know, we'll do our best, something um, was a real uh, epiphany of the seed world and, and it's being interwoven with the global seed, uh, you know, supply chain uh, and the kind of articulation point that seed is in our world, not just as a home gardener, but for my market growers that I, I go to my farmer's market and get my carrots and my kale. And, you know, all of a sudden they, they were also uh, struggling if they hadn't made their seed orders for enough in a timely enough way. So that was just a really interesting moment. And a lot of people experienced a similar, a similar moment in, in their gardening lives right there. Johnny's was one of the original signers of the Safe Seed Pledge back in 1999. Would one of you be willing to, to talk about uh, what, what that means and um, why Johnny's signed and how that informs what, uh, how you make decisions about seed there at Johnny's? Um. So the Safe Seed Pledge uh, was something that Johnny's really, gosh, I guess as the original signers, it was, you know, with that organic value set in mind. So we, we are serving a lot of growers who are thinking, you know, holistically about their soil, um, a bit about, you know, what they're, whether they're spraying or not their seed. Uh, and so when, when the Safe Seed Pledge was first signed, it was really thinking about what the value set of the organic growers were and what was important to them. And I would also say that, um, you know, it was coming through at a time where this isn't a product set, you know, these these were varieties that are being developed for like shipping and for that mass market produce area that again isn't aligned well with with what Johnny's is hoping to bring you know to support and the this the market within the agricultural community that Johnny's serves uh, you know not looking for shipability and high monoculture uh, crops but more diversified small acreage uh, organically grown crops okay yeah, and um, with that focus on kind of flavor as well, I think that um, I think it was a bigger issue ten years ago when I joined the business than it is today, because I think there was an expectation that that every crop group was going to eventually have uh, GMO seed take it over. And, and that people were going to, that, that development companies were going to pursue that and pursue that. And that, you know, those types of seed would be um, able to handle fertilizers sprayed on them that, that we don't think is the best approach to agriculture. So um, I've actually found in the last few years that that hasn't happened, that the overall market has decided what they want and people's attention to healthy food um, has just grown. So the marketplace has kind of held that at bay, um, which we think is great. So um, it, uh, we're, we're wholly committed to it. You know, we have 
you know, in certain crop groups, when we'll talk to suppliers, um, you know, particularly in those crop groups where, you know, corn and, you know, we're not big in soy and some of the other um, crop groups, you know, kiwi and places where, where this is more of an issue, but um, for us, we just, you know, all of the cooperators that we work with that produce seed around the world know what we're about now. So it, it doesn't really even, it's not even brought forward to us um, as an option for something that we'd add to our product portfolio. Um, I do think, unfortunately, that, and I know we're going off on a tangent here a little bit, but I do think that, um, you know, mass food marketing has has corrupted things a little bit more or created more confusion with people that are that are buying products in grocery in particular. Everything's labeled non-GMO in product groups where, you know, GMO vegetable or seed varieties don't even exist. And I think the consumers being um, misled um, a lot with what you see in packaging right now. This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're taking a behind-the-scenes look at the seed world with Johnny's Selected Seeds. We're in conversation with CEO Dave Melhorn and Lauren Giroux, Director of Product Selection and Trialing Research. Johnny's is a 100% employee-owned business, and their motto reads, Helping Communities Feed One Another. All right, so thinking out loud this week, this next section of the conversation with Lauren and Dave gets into kind of the fear mentality, sometimes deserved and maybe sometimes overwrought. I'm not exactly sure. And I I think it's probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. But I'm wondering about you as a gardener where you are. Are you concerned about genetically modified organisms as it relates to seed supply? Are you concerned about genetically engineered seed in our world? And more specifically, are you aware of and concerned about consolidation at the top industrial scale seed in our world? I ask this because I am interested And I sometimes dive into deep despair and fear uh, about all of these things and how they will impact our world in ways we can't even grasp right now. But then I am often surprised by the affirming vitality and diversity of seed growers and suppliers and stewards in if not opposition, at least in counterbalance to these fears. And I'm kind of wondering where you stand on this. So again, I would love if you would send me any feedback about this so that I get a sort of temperature of home gardeners out there. Send me an email. You know how to do it. Cultivatingplace at gmail.com or leave a comment on the weekly post on Instagram where you will find me at cultivating underscore place. Uh, What I'm looking for again, in short, because I am too long-winded, what are you most scared about in terms of GMOs or GE seeds and or 
are you concerned about consolidation at the top industrial scale level of our seed industry in the U.S. and globally? Thank you to everyone who takes the time to send in any thoughts. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. We're back now to our conversation with Dave Melhorn, CEO, and Lauren Giroux, Director of Product Selection and Trialing at Johnny's Selected Seeds. As we come back, we get into some nitty-gritty about fears over GMO and GE seed, as well as consolidation in the seed industry. There is less education about seed and how it's grown and why it's grown and what is not this, what is this, and and why is that the case, um, then there is in almost every other aspect of, of horticulture or, you know, home-based agriculture. And I think this is uh, to our detriment as gardeners in making good decisions, but it leaves this great mystery ar- around these conversations about GMO, about uh, consolidation in the seed world. And so, uh, and, and what we should be worried about, like what is actual seed security and how do we support it instead of being kind of run around with fears um, that are misplaced and not paying attention to fears that we should be paying attention to, um, which I find really interesting. And given the size of the home gardening um, population in the United States, it's a lot. It was 38, 38% of all households in 2018, and it's even more than that now. It was So at that time, it was like 49 million households engaged in home gardening in some way. And after 2020, they, you know, different researchers say different things, but another 20 million people came online to garden. And so I personally feel that the better educated we are about these areas, then the better consumers we are and the more we do direct the marketplace uh, to help be advocates for what we want in the marketplace and what we don't want in the marketplace from a reasonable position. At this point, Johnny's does not, uh, does Johnny's work with any kind of GMO seed? No. No. Yeah, that was my understanding, but I wasn't sure if it, okay. And, you know, when you think about that from your own perspectives in this industry, you know, what are, what are the great disadvantages of GMO and what are, what are some of the upsides of it in in our seed world? If you believe that there are upsides to them. I'm trying to get to what you were touching on there, Dave, about fears and like misplaced um, information going out to the consumer uh, as though GMO is everywhere. Um, Anyway, I I just, I think it's a fascinating piece of this puzzle. I I don't know enough about the GMO seed industry, honestly, because it isn't, it isn't where we are. Right. Um, I certainly recognize that to feed the planet, there may be some weed pressures. There are just going to be pressures on the plant that a plant in and of itself under the local growing conditions in some of the most difficult places in the world may have problems and may need help. And, and if it gets down between, you know, feeding people 
and and not feeding people, uh, I think you have to go for feeding people. So, um, you know, I I don't know enough about all the rationale for why those seeds were developed. I certainly know to some extent it's so that um, you know fertilizers that can hold down pressures that the plant have um, can still be sprayed and the plant can survive through it. Anything you would like to add to that, Lauren? No. Okay. And then, you know, you also got to uh, a, a little bit when we were talking about the scale, the other thing that seems to be a, a point of great concern is this ongoing consolidation in the seed world and the possible detrimental impacts on um, diversity and biodiversity and the the keeping of it or the losing of it and the choice that is available to consumers as a result of large corporations taking over a lot of um, of the seed supply and then being able to dictate through patents or other proprietary means um, what what consumers are able to grow and or not grow, and also impacting um, home gardeners, uh, you know, ancient sort of task of seed saving, uh, where, and it could be that you have personal opinions on this and positions by Johnny's on this as well. Uh, but I'd love your thoughts on, on that and the importance of, uh, the non patented or, um, trademarked or whatever, um, non proprietary open pollinated seed out in the world and the maintaining of that great diversity of offerings whether it's zinnias or, you know, squashes. I can speak to that a bit um, to start off. So, you know, I, where there's consolidation, there is also energy to, um, to kind of counter some of that with diversity. I don't see diversity or open pollinated seeds going anywhere. If anything, you know, I see some renewed energy in, and some seed, seed stewardship and keeping some of those genetics available for um, for gardeners, uh, for small growers to, so that all, all growers, whatever the size or scale have an option to, um, to be more independent or have some of their own seed security. Um, you know, consolidation can also bring some of those genetics to an even better place uh, sometimes. So sometimes if two programs come together, um, you know, it's it's not that those are lost, but they may be combined or even some things are sometimes kind of rebirth, if you will, and brought back to market because consolidation happens or sometimes two types of genetics that standing alone didn't, didn't serve um, the community, the agriculture the way they could are then brought together and new products are made from those that solve real problems. And so I think that, you know, it's, it just goes back to kind of celebrating the diversity of all sources of where a seed comes from. Um, and then for, you know, kind of to the growers awareness, right? So being aware of the different types of seed is something that a grower can do and understand, you know, that hybrid seed has its benefits and so does open pollinated seed and who are the companies that are supporting, um, you know, maybe all of those things and bringing the products forward that I need. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Dave, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I'll add a little bit. Um, 
we've certainly seen, you know, some of large seed companies um, purchase and consolidate into their business some really unique seed companies that maybe had a unique product line. What what I think hasn't happened is that those large companies haven't bought those companies and those product lines um, to take them off the market. Um, in most cases, what we found, and, and that I think, you know, that's a realistic fear. But in most cases, what we found is that uh, the larger seed companies are allowing the smaller seed companies that they acquire um, to still operate independently um, and not just, you know, I don't know, they may be consolidating, you know, accounting or some functions like that. Um, but in terms of product development and, and the plant material, they haven't been taking a lot of plant material off the market. Um, and I think that, some of those companies are bringing to market, you know, innovative new products, um, you know, both ones that uh, maybe are an advancement of something that existed, or maybe something that has um, a better disease resistance component to it, um, or to Lauren's point, you know, taking their breeding programs and, and, you know, through normal plant process, crossing material and getting, getting, you know, really unique, what would be naturally occurring new plant material onto the market. So, you know, if we look at, you know, not that you eat them all the time, but if we look at what's happening in pumpkins, as an example, in our program or other people's program, there's some really cool, you know, <laughs> new plants coming to the market. And it's, yeah. and there's similar things happening in, you know, lettuce and in, um, you know, brassicas and it, and that to me is the opposite side of it. Um, so I, I, I think that people are, um, uh, should appropriately be fearful of it, you know, um, because they see what happened in banking or in other industries. Um, but I think again, the market is craving diversity, um, and the market is craving, uh, sustainability and the market is craving, that varieties don't go away like it did with apple trees. Um, so I think, and I, and I, um, I think the industry as a whole is, I, I don't know, I find it to be um, uh, pretty committed to, you know, keeping plant diversity out there. Now, you know, that all said, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we shouldn't worry about it. Um, you know, one of the things that we like the most about what we do is that we think that we play a role in in working with those companies to keep plant material accessible to everybody. And that's, you know, that's why we have, um, you know, nearly 2000 varieties that we present to our customers. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I think that's a great insight because I, I do think that there are, you hear, um, you know, I'm not going to call them urban myths, but you hear these recurring fears of certain things. And, um, and I think the more we actually look at them, uh, then we know again, just what is reasonable fear and what is then reasonable response and how to, to offset it. And I think you're exactly right, Lauren. I think in this last five years or so, maybe even 10, we've seen this fantastic renaissance of interest in, um, small growers and diversified growers. I mean, it's an honestly exciting time to be 
um, you know, to be a, a home gardener because of just selection and choice. And the fun of that is, is fantastic. So I guess I would love to pull us to, to the conclusion of our conversation. And, um, and I think Dave started to head us this way in terms of what he sees the market craving. I wonder, Lauren, are you able to give us any insights as to the trends you're seeing for 2022, 2023? And, um, you know, what, what you see as exciting shifts, uh, or, or additions or reintroductions or yeah. What, what should we be looking forward to Lauren? Oh, well, I would certainly say, you know, to echo what Dave was doing is the market is craving diversity. And so diversity in um, shapes and sizes and colors and flavors of different crop groups and, and seeing more and more of that, um, you know, certainly what that's what we're, we're seeing and experiencing and looking to bring forward. Um, you know, on the on the growing aspect of things, um, you know, really products that have some disease resistance uh, is really important for organic growing and also as climate is changing. Um, and so be looking for things that that have disease resistance um, that are that still have all of the excellent flavor um, and and characteristics that make them fun to grow in the garden. Um, those are those are both are two really big trends. Um, you know, more herbs. Uh, certainly is big in flowers. I think we all, you know, for as much as we're looking to feed our bodies really healthy food, there's also a lot of focus on mental health um, and wellness and mindfulness and flowers. You know, I like to say that flowers uh, feed the soul and that's their role. And and so seeing a lot of energy in flowers, both um, both in and growing, um, growing your own flowers as well as purchasing from flower, from local flower growers and having a connection with your blooms. Any any one herb or one flower that you're particularly excited about oh, being gosh. offered this year? Um, I know that's hard. It's like saying who's your favorite child, but I mean, I um, there's there's a new zinnia. So zinnias are always a favorite for both cut grow, flower growers. Um, so there's there's been a over the years since I started at Johnny's was kind of the first of the blush series of zinnias. Um, and so in flowers, there's um, a new blush series and that's probably the most exciting. And then on the, um, on the herb side is, is basil, you know, it's. Yeah. The basils are, they have, they have just gone out of control. This They're so fun and I love all their flowers. So uh, as well as, you know, the culinary aspect, but they're also a great cut flower and great for pollinators in most cases. So wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, Dave, anything you want to add to that trend uh, report? No, I think she covered it. So I guess I'll, I would like to, 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 finally end with each of you maybe sharing for you what is your what is your greatest joy in this work and what are your greatest hopes for the role of johnny's in in our world as we move forward both for the horticultural world but maybe also the the socioeconomics of our our world as well in whatever in whatever way you see johnny's involved there because i i think you are and um, why don't I start with you, Lauren, and and then we'll end with Dave. Um, I think 
I think I have a lot of greatest joys, but perhaps perhaps my greatest is is the community, um, really. And it's the community within the company, the community of the customers we serve, community of seed. Uh, it's just relationships and community. It's it's a huge and small industry, right. <laughs> uh, and that's incredibly rewarding uh, and just keeps me energized. And I'm sorry, your other question was hopes. I hope to see the continued enthusiasm and passion for um, for for where food comes from, for where from where seed comes from, um, diversity, kind of the excitement of trying something new, growing something new. You know, I I think that since I've been in this industry, that seems to just keep getting bigger and bigger. And I hope to see that continue to happen um, with future generations. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, for me, I guess it would be, um, you know, we're trying to help a home gardener or a farmer just be more successful. So if if the work that we're putting in allows, um, you know, a family farm or a local farm to be more economically sustainable, you know, there's a lot of farms that start up but fail in the first three years. But if we can lend support, whether it's through products or advice that allow them to, you know, have a productive home garden or have a productive farm. The other thing that actually brings me really great joy is we get to support all these families that work for us. And as an employee-owned business, we make decisions very differently than a commercial company or a company that is publicly held. So we make very different ethical decisions and we make very different decisions about things like our benefit package or what we pay people. And those are geared uh, more so to supporting, you know, employee owners that are working hard to support the mission of the business. So um, that's one thing that I think is really unique about us um, and, uh, and super cool that that would be it for me i mean i know it's it's kind of cliche but that in a nutshell is what we're trying to do so you know help uh you know help the local healthy food distribution system keep that safe and vibrant if we can succeed in that because they can succeed in that that's really um that brings the greatest joy Thank you both very much for being guests on the program today. It's been uh, a real pleasure uh, to speak with you and uh, hear more about Johnny's. Thank you. Thank you. Johnny Selected Seeds is a 100% employee-owned seed grower, trialer, and supplier, well-known to home gardeners and market growers across North America. Dave Melhorn is the CEO, and Lauren Giroux is the Director of Product Selection and Trialing Research. Throughout our conversation, Dave and Lauren and I circle around some of the controversial issues and concerns surrounding GMO and seed in our world. One of the areas we do not get into is the controversial concerns and questions surrounding the use of synthetic 
fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides, and how these impact not only our seed supply, but our gardening and environmental lives at large. I think these are all topics for gardeners to educate themselves about and consider how they spend their gardening dollars and thereby how they vote our gardening world should be. Join us again next week when we revisit another seed supply and seed commons advocate, Vivian Sansour of the Palestine Heirloom Seed Library, working to recover ancient seeds of Palestine along with their stories and to help put both stories and seeds back into the people's hands. Join us next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. Cultivating Place is also made possible by listeners just like you and by partner support from the California Native Plant Society. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler and producer and development director Sarah Bohannon. We're grateful for technical and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.